Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. My name is Trevor Sikama. With me is Ben Solak, and we are, I can say, smack dab in the middle of the 2019 guest mock draft because today we are doing picks number 15 and 16 in this guest mock draft. It's been a lot of fun so far. Just to give a little bit of a recap for everybody on how the board went, Kyler Murray went number one overall to the Cardinals. Nick Bosa went two to the 49ers. Josh Allen, three to the Jets. Quinnen Williams to the Raiders at number four. The Bucks ended up picking Ed Oliver, which is basically what everybody else has wanted to pick to this point, which I found is hilarious. Uh, the Giants went Dwayne Haskins. I was kind of surprised about that, but I suppose it's the right pick. Jaguars went Jonah Williams. Uh, the Lions went Montez Sweat. Bills went TJ Hawkinson. Broncos, Devin White. Bengals, Devin Bush. The Packers went Brian Burns. The Miami Dolphins went Christian Wilkins. The Falcons went Juwan Taylor. And that brings 14 us up. 14 for 14, Trevor. boy. Uh, I did it, dude. Right off the top of the dome. I remembered it. This is good. I'm getting, uh, this, is, this is like a brain exercise. You know how like people download those apps and they have like this right. brain exercise, like those memories? They should just do mental mock drafts. Me, <laughs> me doing this mock draft is increasing my memory capacity. But that brings us up. To the Redskins at number 15. Ben, the Redskins can kind of go a lot of different ways, especially with the quarterback. Do you have like a, a leaning before we get our guest on, like which way you think the Redskins might go? I mean, yeah, unless it's quarterback, no. But as I think we're going to talk about, we're kind of getting to that point in the draft. Like, you know, you get into the late teens. That's where you start experiencing all the consensus round one grades are gone. And now it's just whatever round one grades teams have left. I know. And that's where picks start to get like out of left field surprising. And this so is, we're starting to enter that phase of the draft. This is where we get into like the team boards being different. I think exactly. meaning a lot. And so to help us out with Washington's team board, we have with us today, Craig Hoffman. He works for 106.7, the fan in Washington. Craig, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It was a risky endeavor, though. I heard there's some Melissa Lang fans here, and you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> questionable. So you know, Ben you Ben know. hasn't met her yet, but uh, there's at least one Alyssa Lang fan <laughs> on this podcast, if nothing else. I'm, I'm a full on surrogate Alyssa Lang fan, just through proxy. Okay, okay. So she's fine. Um, she's fine. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Alyssa's one of my best friends, so I'm happy to happy to join you guys. Uh, obviously, anyone close to Alyssa is cool with me, and and these mock drafts are a lot of fun. So Alyssa is going to be Alyssa is going to be super excited uh, that that we talked about her on the podcast. And by super excited, I mean she's not going to be excited at all. So not let's get listen. to the Redskins talk. Make <laughs> um, kind of a whirlwind of a year for the Redskins, certainly uh, with a lot that was going on. Man, I'm going to be honest. When I went into the year, we, we had a couple of really good Week One matchups. I thought, and even in the early weeks after that, and I'm like. Man, the Redskins could be sneaky good. Like, I kind of like this roster. I think Alex Smith can get it done. I didn't think he was a bum as much as everybody else did, but certainly the kind of the year was a little bit up and down. And then obviously the big injury. And then it was kind of just gloom and doom after that. What was it like, I guess, going from the beginning of what people thought could be for Washington's season and then really how it unfolded and, and how they've been handling it kind of ever since the Alex Smith injury? Yeah, Trevor, it, it was ultimately bizarre because they were winning early but no one felt they were like they were playing well i mean everyone was frustrated alex was doing enough to win but it's like man if you get it three or four more throws per game or just see three or four more throws they could start blowing people out like this defense is rolling they've got a system that's working 
you know, keeping the ball, you know, time of possession, the, the Alex Smith kind of game. You started to really understand those of us who were around it every day, the magic of Alex of being able to keep everybody calm, but also not turning it over and what kind of effect that had on the full, you know, scope of a football game. And, but you still wanted more. And then all of a sudden he gets hurt Mm -hmm. and that was devastating. But also I think those of us that have been around this beat for a while had always kind of wondered like what the Colt McCoy experience was going to be like, because we'd always heard like he wasn't that much worse than cousins. And, you know, a lot of us thought, frankly, just he could have operated parts of that offense better than Alex was uh, because he just knew it better. And Alex was clearly mentally struggling, even though they were winning games. And so there was this this odd touch of excitement, as bummed as we were for Alex, because you will not meet a better human being in the NFL than Alex Smith. But there was this this football level excitement about what Colt could potentially do, and he showed some flashes against Dallas. But it was a weird schedule. You know, Alex gets hurt on Sunday. They're playing on Thanksgiving on Thursday, and then the following Monday night, Colt gets hurt, and at that point it's over. At that point, it's Mark Sanchez and. You know, he had the 90-yard the handoff to Adrian Peterson, and that was exciting for about 14 seconds. Um, <laughs> but other than that, man, it, it's just like they kept getting injuries. Their O-line went to hell. There's some bad or bad injuries on defense mm-hmm. as well. And it was just brutal to finish the year out. Um, they get the one win down in Jacksonville, but other than that, uh, they, they close the year with just the one win after Alex gets hurt. So um, it left a lot of questions too because it's really hard to evaluate any of their own, your own players when you don't have half of them um so it, it makes this draft process super interesting not to mention the obvious question mark of alex which on some level is answered in that he's not in their plans right now maybe in two years if he comes back could he do something you know if they don't wind up going quarterback at all this year um, maybe, but he's certainly not in the 2019 plans, and they are proceeding forward as if he's not going to play for them again. Ben, are you right. ben, are you about to ask about quarterbacks? Because if you're not, I kind of wanted to do a follow up. Oh, as if I'm not going to ask about quarterbacks, man. You know, I've only got one okay. thing on the mind. Okay, okay. All, all right, all right, all right. Go ahead, go ahead. So it's the Case Keenum trade, right? So it's we've got the late <laughs> round swap. You go ahead, you grab a guy like Case Keenum. What is Case Keenum? The world's been trying to answer this question for years. Nobody really knows, but. We know that it hasn't taken Washington out of the running for those 2019 quarterbacks like you talked about. They've met with Dwayne Haskins. They've met with Kyler Murray. They've met a lot with Will Greer out of West Virginia. Right now stationed at 15. Tough to get a starting quarterback at 15, even with a weaker class. Do you anticipate there being a a, a name or two, a particular target at quarterback they might trade up for? Do you think it's just they're going to see who kind of waits and sees who falls to them on day two? What do you think the strategy coming in to draft day will be approaching the quarterback position? So I don't think that they like any of the top quarterbacks in this class outside of Kyler, and Kyler's obviously long off the board, both in this mock draft and in reality, we all know he will be off the board. So outside of that, I, I don't think that like Drew Locke or, or unless they're, you know, everyone's fooling me because I mean, I talked to a lot of people over there and, you know, unless they are, their poker faces are a lot better than I think they are. Uh, they don't love any of these quarterbacks. And I, I honestly don't think uh, that will be the pick at 15. Although if the board falls like this, uh, it becomes really interesting because, you know, a guy like Drew Locke might kind of wind up in that class of player that's going to be available based on how this board has fallen. Um, I also think they, they think this class is a little deeper and that maybe some of the guys down the board could potentially develop into starters. And they obviously trust their offensive staff. Jay Gruden uh, is 
obviously has a great history with quarterbacks. Kevin O'Connell, who they've elevated rapidly over the past couple of years, now all the way up to offensive coordinator, former quarterback in the league, uh, has experience with a lot of different styles of, of offense from working under Chip Kelly to being Tom Brady's backup to the West Coast stuff he's done with Gruden the past couple of years. So he's got a ton of experience as well. Um, so I, I tend to lean more of the, let's see what's there in the second and third round, a Will Greer or Ryan Finley. They've gone to all these pro days. Um, I don't think that like Daniel Jones is going to wind up dropping that far, but if he's available in the second round by the time they're on the board, obviously that would be of intrigue, but I think that's basically, there's basically no chance that happens. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I see them and their view of this draft class. So, I mean, kind of building off that a little bit, and this has to do with certainly the quarterback position who they might pick there. You talked a little bit about potential second, third round guys, but I was reading up a little bit on Washington's situation and everything. And the, the Jay Gruden, I think part of this is really fascinating to me because like this guy's got to win. I mean, this like this, they have to win this year. This is not a very favorable outlook. I think going into the season, certainly right now with some of the uncertainty that's a quarterback and little holes in the rest of the roster, but they've got to win games. And when he was asked about potentially what the Redskins might be doing in the first round, especially he talked about, we've got to get a player that can win right now. And he used the quotes. He's like, I'm not going to sit here and tell Ryan Kerrigan that we're you know, building for the future, that we're not going to compete, or Landon Collins or Josh Norman. And he named those guys specifically, talking about, we have to draft players that are going to be able to come in and play right away. Is that something that you truly see kind of going into their draft strategy that you know, we can look at prospects and say, hey, here's this guy who's got a lot of tools, but he needs some development to him. Would you say the Redskins might be shying away from certain players like that or what their draft strategy might be like just because Jay Gruden really might be in this kind of I have to win football games to keep my job situation? Yeah, no, that's absolutely how he and the rest of his staff are thinking about this. Like if they if they don't get a player that wins helps them win now, they might not get to pick any other players. Yeah. So they they fully are aware of their situation. Um, and to a point, they know that the injuries have kind of fended off records that might have otherwise gotten them fired the last two seasons. These are, you know, they've been horrifically banged up the last two years and still managed to finish right around 500. And that's, of course, not where you want to be. You want to be a lot better than 500. You want to be in the playoffs. And, but if you have a legitimate reason why you're not there, then I guess you get to keep your job. Third time in a row, though. Like, that's probably not going to happen. So I do think maybe if this is a brand-new coaching staff, then Drew Locke is someone you look at at 15 and go, all right, there's a lot there, super talented physically. There is some stuff mentally you like. There's also some decisions he makes where you're going, what on earth were you thinking there? (laughs) And so you can't really live with that when your job is on the line. And, uh, you know, that's why, I, I mean, honestly, we haven't brought this name up yet, but, like, honestly, I think the best bet for them at quarterback moving forward, kind of the best balance between the two of, like, all right, Colton Case has been around. Maybe one of them can help us win some games, but they're definitely not the future. And someone who is not completely raw, no experience, you have no idea what they are, is Josh Rosen. Like, I, I legitimately there it think is. they will make a strong play for Josh Rosen. I think the, the stuff that Benjamin Albright was putting out there the other day, of a second and a future mid-round pick is kind of the price that they would like to see that happen at. Mm. Um, you know, for them, I, I would say two things on, on Rosen or any other potential trade. One, they very much do not want to give up 15. I think they believe there will be a better player there at 15 
than Josh Rosen. But at the same time, they also don't want to give up multiple picks. So I think the <laughs> second and a future pick is actually the best thing. Like, okay, we'll give up multiple picks, but not this year. Mm-hmm. We need too many things. We have too many holes in our football team to sacrifice it all because Josh Rosen by himself isn't enough to put us over the top. We need to go get him some weapons. And so that's why I, I tend to lean like exactly what Albright was saying the other day, if that indeed gets it done from Arizona's side of it. I love the idea of like, listen, we want to trade for a franchise quarterback, but we don't want to give up a first and we don't have to give up multiple picks. <laughs> I got bad news for you, team. <laughs> let me tell you how this is going to go. But no. So let, let me ask you this then. Let, let's say a rose and trade comes through. And, and as draft guys, you know, Trevor and I from last year, I don't know specifically for Trev. I was super high on Rosen. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, he can be an impact player, like you said, kind of uh, help you win early. How high is the ceiling going to be for this team? Let's say they shore up the quarterback position. Looking now outside of it, how high is the ceiling for this team in a win- wins and losses? And who are some of those young players, recent draft picks on the roster, who do need to step up in order to help this team reach the ceiling? Like, to me, I look at like a Darius Geis, obviously. He's missing last year. His, his return to health, obviously, is a big impact. But who else has a bigger role in their future? Yeah, I would say there's kind of three ultimate wild cards. And I'll put, like, the the max ceiling at 11 wins. The likelihood they reach that, not very high. More realistic, like, 9 or 10 fighting for a playoff spot. Um, and, and I would say the three wild cards are quarterback, as discussed. Don't need to waste any more time on that. Darius Geis is absolutely huge for them because they need playmakers desperately. Like they need Jordan Reed to play really well. They need Chris Thompson to play really well. Darius is a guy that raises their ceiling and thus, to me, is super important to them, a guy that can give the ball a lot in different situations, get him out in space. They didn't really have a guy last year who could score from anywhere on the field, and Darius is a guy like that who has the home run type of ability. Obviously, Paul Richardson being healthy would be huge in that regard as well. The other huge wild card is Ruben Foster. If he's the guy yeah. that everyone thought he was coming out of Alabama and he's not suspended for God knows how long, then he changes their defense because they need playmakers, and he could be that. You know, even Landon Collins, who they signed to the big deal and is going to be, I think, very, very good for them. He's not really a playmaker. He's just a super solid guy, which they need, by the way. They, they completely lost the ability to stop the run last year because they didn't have sure tacklers, and Landon is that. But he's not this, like, ball-hawking, over-the-top type of guy um, who is going to come down with, you know, six interceptions, seven interceptions on the year and be able to, you know, impact the ball or impact the game that way, get you the ball back. So, Foster is a guy who could go for some fumbles, you know, put your, you know, get a sack on a blitz, like things like that, jar, jar the ball loose. Like those are huge type impact plays that I think he's capable of making that if he is what they thought he was coming out and not really the player he's been so far in the league, even putting all the other stuff aside, um, and there's a lot of stuff, uh, then, then he's a game changer for them. I think Monte Nicholson at free safety is a, a potential game changer. Uh, for them, uh, fourth-round pick a couple of years ago was awful last year, coming off some concussions to end his rookie year, but his rookie year was fantastic. Um, Quentin Dunbar, Fabian Moreau at corner. like there's, And they, they obviously need superstar play from Josh Norman, too. So there's, there's a lot of variables for this football team, like very few things. You're like, oh, that's a sure thing. But ceiling-wise, like 10-11 wins. Uh, but that also involves them staying healthy, obviously, as well. Right. And that has been the bugaboo as much as anything the last two years. Yeah, I think that the Darius Geist thing is going to be really crucial, and not just because I think that Darius Geist is a really damn good player, but depending on what happens at quarterback, you know, Case Keenum, 
he had so much success in Minnesota because a lot of what he did was based around play action. And they took him Mm -hmm. from that, tried to put him in Denver and go a lot more vertical with it. And that's when he really, really started to struggle. So I think that Washington's going to be already automatically a better fit for him than what he had in Denver just because the offense is going to be based a little bit more around relying heavily on the running game. So I'm with you there. I think that that's a big difference. So let's get to this pick. Number 15, I think you've done a really good job kind of highlighting the roster, some strengths, some weaknesses. They could they could be going in different directions. But um, who's the player? Or, I mean, you could you could intro it with, I, I guess, maybe a couple of players or a situation that you would want, and then uh, give us your pick of, of if the board fell like this, who would be the correct pick on what they're trying to do or the right move that they're trying to make at number 15? Yeah, and the, the way this board falls is actually – I, I think it, in real life, it's one of the best-case scenarios for them because there's a blue-chip type of player still on the board. The court, there's still multiple quarterbacks on the board. Unfortunately, the difference between them and me is I'm not allowed to make trades. So if the board <laughs> falls like this, right. I think they try to trade out, and I can give you a list of players here in a second that I think they would target. Um, the best player on the board to me is Rashawn Gary. They've taken Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen the last two years. They don't need Rashawn Gary. So with that being said, I kind of try to go, all right, who's the best player available at a position that I can at least justify as a need? And then to me, it comes down to which corner you like better. Do you like Greedy Williams or do you like Byron Murphy? I'm going to go Murphy and say they're going to play. Hell yeah. And and that would be because they need a nickel desperately. Greedy's too big to play in there. It's not his style. Um, he, you know, the, but that super physical, like gritty playmaking type. And I know some scouts that flat out like Murphy better than Williams, period. Like not even as a nickel, as an outside guy, take all the measurables, you know, the fact that Greedy's six, two and Byron's five ten. like they just think he's a better, more physical player. And so I'll, I'll make that the pick, but here, here's more realistically what I think would happen here. And I know a lot of people would be like, just take Drew Locke. And I honestly, that's tempting, um, at this point, but like with Brian Burns off the board, for instance, I think that that's a killer. I think the other the other pick that's really tempting here of guys left is Cleveland Farrell, uh, obviously edge rusher out of Clemson. Mm-hmm. He's tempting. I think what they would honestly do here, though, is try to trade down somewhere late teens, early 20s and take Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State. I know they like him a lot. Um, I think his versatility fits a lot with what Jay likes to do offensively, where they like to move receivers around. He's much more polished than DK Metcalf. I don't really like DK Metcalf that much, and I don't think they like him either. They have a slightly slower version of Metcalf and Josh Doxson, and that hasn't really worked out. All right, Ben, all right, Ben, cut his audio, cut his audio off the podcast. Uh, cut his slightly, audio. Oh, you're among DK uh, fans <laughs> here. It hurts to hear. <laughs> Look. He's he's got a very specific skill set which he might be terrific at. It doesn't fit what they do. Like he and it's not even like he can't change speeds in total. He's got some subtle speed change vertically where he can set guys up and then get vertical. But in this offense, like you need to be able to change direction. It's a timing and rhythm based offense, and that's just not his thing. Um, and so ultimately, I think they like whether it's Harry. I think they like AJ Brown. Marquise Brown, I think they would rather have all those guys than DK Metcalf. So even though Metcalf's sitting there at 15 and they desperately need a wide receiver, I think they would probably rather trade down and take one of those other guys um, than, than just go with Metcalf at 15. So that's kind of where I'm sitting with those guys. I think it's too early for the safeties, even though they need one of those. 
So uh, ultimately, I think they would trade down. But I'll go Byron Murphy and say that they would play him nickel, and and that'll be my pick. Well, you made up for it there because Ben and I are Byron Murphy truthers. I believe both of us have Byron Murphy QB or CB one. Do we? Do you have Ben? Ben from the beginning. Okay. Okay. All right. So he had it. Okay. So he had it. So so we very much agree with that pick. Craig, thank you so much for joining us, man. I feel like Washington all the time is like a team wherever they pick in the draft that we talk to people and they're like, yeah, I have no idea what Washington's going to do. And now everybody's going to have a much better idea of what Washington's going to do. So thanks, man. We really appreciate you joining the podcast. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. All right, Ben, that brings us to number 16, officially going to be halfway through this guest mock draft. Excited about that pick. Carolina can go a lot of different ways to get Cam Newton some help, recompete. So we'll get to that in a second. You guys stick around. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. My name is Trevor Sikamo. With me is Ben Solak. And Ben, now we can officially say that we're, we're like right at halfway through this guest mock draft. We are at mm-hmm. pick number 16 out of 32. And if my math is correct, that's literally half the draft. Well, your math's wrong. At the end of pick 16, we'll be halfway because 16 well, will have been I know, made. We've only we're made there. 15. We're there because like, I would still say that we're at the end when we got to 32, right? Because we made no. it to the end. We made it to the end. We made it to 32. So we made we it to 16. We have to be finished with pick 32. So we need to be ben, finished with pick 16. Yeah. And I just like looking ahead. Okay. <laughs> I like to I like to plan and I like for the being future. Correct. It's just our different ways of leading our lives. You know, and that's why we are a terrible podcast duo but for pick number 16 we have the carolina panthers on the clock i know the carolina panthers pretty well just from covering the buccaneers uh and obviously them being in the nfc south and everything cam newton there's all kinds of whirlwind stuff going on around him it's always kind of a question mark how you're gonna really build this team around your franchise quarterback and we've kind of seen a, a little bit of a roller coaster over the last couple of years with what the panthers are trying to do so to help us understand that better we have Marcel Louis Jacques. I got that right, correct? Nailed it. Oh, man. Which is also, I mean, he's one of the best names that we're going to have on this guest mock draft. He works for the Charlotte Observer covering the Carolina Panthers. Marcel, thanks so much for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. I've said it on Twitter before. I love what TDN has done this this or mock draft or draft season. Uh, it's where, you know, I've got so much information and like your site is just this database for guys that you know I've never seen, never heard of. Sure. I probably speak for most B writers in the country. We had a lot of different target markets of the things that we wanted to do when we uh, when we launched TDN, and certainly helping beat reporters out, making sure that whether you were covering the team or just a fan or however, you could learn about as much as you could possibly want. But uh, we're here to do the learning from you, from I think this side of the podcast, because like I kind of introed it there. The Panthers really, I think for the last couple of years, you know, when they made that Super Bowl run, it just kind of seemed like everything was coming together for him. Cam Newton was truly coming into his own. He was achieving his peak as an NFL player, much like we saw when he was at Auburn and won a national championship. Then there's been a lot of up and down, both in performance. Obviously, Cam's had some injuries as well. The team is both overperformed and underperformed in different areas. What was kind of your assessment of their 2018 season? Obviously, kind of finishing smack dab right in the middle of the NFL, picking at 16 in the draft. Just overall, what was the expectation, I think, going into 2018, and then what ended up being reality for the Panthers kind of as the year came into close? 
I mean, the expectation was you've got all these, you've got these dynamic new playmakers in a new offense, and uh, with a former NFL MVP who, with the full offseason, the rest should be healthy. And on defense, you've got seven Pro Bowlers, six Pro Bowlers before they signed Eric Reed. And so many veterans, so much talent, plus a young guy in Gante Jackson at corner who could really shore up that, that final spot, that final weakness. And this was a – they were an NFC title contender entering the year, and they were halfway through the year as well. The problem was a lot of things just started to wear out. Uh, Cam's shoulder wore down, and his effectiveness, his efficiency went with it. Uh, as David Tepper, the Panthers owner, told us in January, the defense got a lot older, a lot faster than anybody expected. And that showed up when they're giving up, you know, two, three big game-changing plays a game. And from there, I think they figured two things out as far as, you know, what needs to be shored up this offseason. And that's protecting their quarterback and getting to an opposing quarterback. And so mm-hmm. that's why we're going in first round. It, it's going to be on one of those sides of the ball, the the offensive or defensive line. Right. Okay. So we're talking trenches. Love to talk trenches. I think that's how you build good teams. I'm interested, two players in specific. I want to know how much you think you might be able to get out of these guys in 2019. The first is Daryl Williams. Uh, right tackle obviously had some really strong seasons in the past few years but has really been dealing with some injury you have a guy like taylor moten waiting in the wings what's going to be the situation how are those tackles going to play and how much do you expect to get out of williams getting a little older and obviously dealing with injury and then it's bruce urban who's bounced around now from a couple of different places how much does he add to this pass rush to the point where do you feel like he can be a starter would you rather him be a depth piece is he going to be more off ball doing coverage stuff the role of Darrell williams and bruce Urban, what are they going to be moving forward well both guys are on are on one year deals but they mean different things uh for daryl that one year is i believe a prove it deal um there's a reason he's only getting six seven million dollars as a potential starting tackle because that knee that surgically repair knee is still not it's not a hundred percent like there's not a whole hundred percent worth of confidence in whether he can stay up right for 16 games but if he's healthy, I would expect him to start at either left or right tackle. And I'm leaning towards left tackle because the Panthers really like what they have on the right side of the line with, mm. with Taylor Moten and with Trey Turner at guard. But if he can return to uh, if he can return to form this season, I think he gets his money next offseason. And the Panthers have a solid offensive line, a very a, a core to work with for years to come with Paredes and whoever they add at left guard, if it's Greg Van Roten or someone else. But with Bruce Irvin, I don't think this one-year contract is a prove-it deal for him. I think that he embodies what they want their next edge rusher to be. They want somebody who can put their hand in the dirt and who can stand up at outside backer. And what he's going to do is he's going to make an impact this season while also serving as an example for whoever they bring in and their young players this year. So it'll, it's not going to force any rookie into an impact role right away. Instead, they can learn from somebody who's done it very well over the course of his career. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about the defense and away from the trenches, just because it seems like you know Thomas Davis kind of moving on. It, it feels like for a really long time, yeah, even when Dave Gettleman was there, he certainly liked to, to shore up, I think, the, the front of that defense. But 
it just seems like for so long the identity of the Panthers defense has lied in their linebackers with Luke Keekley, with Thomas Davis, and then with Shaq Thompson as well. Thomas Davis is not there anymore. So now Thompson is still there, although he was, I, I, I always felt, the third best linebacker. So is he going to step up into that position that Thomas Davis really could for so long at such a high level? And it almost, to me, it, it just feels like they went from linebacker being such a core identity for them is now it's just kind of keekly. Are they still going to act like he truly is that nucleus of the defense? Like, is he going to still be that role? Is linebacker still going to be a, a priority of how they kind of build their defense uh, from that point out? Or are we going to sh- see a little bit of a shift in importance where, hey, we might start running our defense a little bit more through edge rushers or interior pressure or maybe the secondary or something like that? How do you see the identity of the defense changing uh, from some of the moves that they made? Oh, the the face of this defense is still arguably the face of the franchise not named Cam Newton, and that's that's Luke Keekley. Anytime you have a, a probable Hall of Famer on your roster, you, you run that in his prime, you run it through him. He's still like a coach on the field. He's still the quarterback of that defense. But the strength of this team, I think, has now shifted back to the secondary, where you've got a potential lockdown corner in Dante Jackson, where you've got a guy like Eric Reed, who's kind of does whatever that whatever you want your safety to do, whether it's to you know play center field or whether it's to come in the box and, and protect against the run and guard a tight end. So I, I think that the defensive backfield right now is the strength, and as soon as they add that second starter at free safety, it'll really be solidified. But they are—they believe that they're strong in the interior uh, defensive line with guys like Quan Short and with Don Terry Poe, and they're hoping to bring back Kyle Love as well. And so there, there is talent there. There's just little shifts and little changes and tweaks that mm-hmm. they need to be made, like adding some speed and versatility on the outside and being more multiple this year so they can be less of a predictable defense in 2019. And uh, I think that once they get the players in place to do that, the coaching staff is is strong and Ron Rivera is calling the plays and that's what um, top down the organization believes is his forte. And uh, I, I would expect to see a different looking Panthers defense in 2019. Before Ben, before Ben goes, I got to ask you about Corn Elder. Like, what is kind of the outlook for him? Because I truly loved Corn Elder as like a nickel type of corner when he was coming out. What was it, a year ago, two years ago, whatever it was. I was just such a big fan of his. Like, is he going to get? Do they like him? Is he going to get a lot of playing time? Like, what's his role? I just want a little Corn Elder update if you have one. Yeah, I think he's got. He's going to have the opportunity to seize that starting nickel role uh, now that. The team's moved on from Captain Munnerlyn. I like it. There's really there's no other there's no other player in place currently. Uh, after the draft, however, I I wouldn't I'd be a little more confident to say either direction. Uh, I think there are guys on the board who could help out at both corner and uh, or by both nickel corner and safety, like a Juan Thornhill from Virginia, like a Mark mm-hmm. Fields from Clemson. I think would be mm-hmm. given his Panthers ties, uh, his his Charlotte ties. I think would be a pretty knockout selection but corn's going to get a chance they like what they saw from him uh in training camp uh he is not a natural outside corner i think we saw that a little bit um we saw that during the seahawks game this past year but uh, as a nickel guy as, a, as an inside guy I, I think he could thrive and this is going to be a pretty telltale offseason for him so what then this i'm just building off the cornelder question what's the plan for rashawn golden because obviously golden coming out of tennessee i believe a third round pick last year 
Golden had the the corner and safety experience. He was kind of that overhang type. And so is he, uh, you said Eric Reed is kind of your combo guy. Where does Golden fit in between the nickel and the safety roles? And that's what they're looking to find out from him this offseason. He didn't get a lot of run in 2018 with so much better experience there and with really very little margin for error as they, you know, slid through the bottom or the, the second half of the season. But he is a guy, once again, he's a converted corner. He can play nickel. He can maybe play their, their big nickel linebacker in which they use a guy as like a linebacker safety hybrid. And uh, I think that they, they see a lot of potential spots for Rashawn. He just needs to show this offseason when given an opportunity where he can really thrive because I don't think that part is clear just yet based on what they saw from him in 2018. All right, let's get a little bit of a draft focus here before we get your official pick. I know you touched on a little bit in the first question of the areas that I think that they're looking to improve. You talked about the trenches a little bit, but just highlighting a little bit more and maybe a little bit more draft specific in here. Who are some players that you have heard in this draft class where if Carolina is staying at 16, if the board kind of goes relatively within you know a, a realistic realm who are some names that that might be some good carolina targets for number 16 before we we get you to pick one yourself yeah uh they're they're in a position where you know they want to take the best player available but it's best player available at one of two spots you know at either offensive or defensive line and so on the defensive side of the ball i've i've heard brian burns uh, Cleveland Farrell mm-hmm. as well, Rashawn Gary, if he falls that far. Um, offensively, uh, a lot of people are, are saying Jonah Williams. I'm not sold on that right now. I think that he really, I think he was really exposed once he played the, uh, once he played the best pass rusher he was going to play last season in the national title game. And I understand he's got years of film, but, you know, that's not a very, that's not a comforting last game um, if you're scouting him. But uh, I would say Andre Dillard. Or uh, Cody Ford out of Oklahoma, okay. as well. So you know, guys in that guys in that realm. All right, well, let's get right to it. Let's get to uh, let's get to your pick. If if the board falls like this, um, and and the players are gone that are gone in this mock draft, how would you see the Carolina Panthers going? If you were the GM, who would you be picking for them at sixteen? Moment of truth here. Well, Montez Sweat is a dream, and he's off the board early. Okay. Uh, we also got Brian Burns off okay. the board early. Good context so there. I like it. Carolina's going to go. Carolina's would go Cleveland Farrell, defensive end out of Clemson. This is a guy who can. He's an intelligent player. He, he played in a complex defense with the guy with the defensive coordinator and Brent Venables, who asked him to do a lot. Uh, he was very productive, playing at a high level, and he's got a lot of tape on there. Off the field, though. High character kid, military yeah. family. That's yeah. something that's really going to gel with a guy like Ron Rivera, who has his own military background. So, board falls like this. Cleveland Farrell, first Clemson player ever drafted by the Panthers, uh, goes in the record books and makes history there. Wow, there Marcel, we go. As an ex-Clemson beat, thoughts on Cleveland claiming his last name is pronounced Furl? I mean, I feel bad that uh, <laughs> it seems you see Farrell so often that, I, you know, you, Right, because I've got it Farrell this whole time. Is it like it? Hold up, like I've got to think this might be like a troll from him though. Like, there's no way that's how you say his last name, right? Is it? That is how. That's how everybody. When I was at Clemson, that's how everybody pronounced it. Uh, He had never corrected it. I hear him correcting Cleveland more often than he corrects 
uh, Ferrell, but you know, if that's what he says, who is who are we to tell him otherwise? Like, I guess that's so. how he wants his name to be. Then Cleveland Ferrell. Yeah, you and Fair I were you were you and I were talking about last name pronunciations before the show. So uh, I guess you know if we can lump Cleveland Ferrell into that, then uh, that actually brings his pick full circle. Uh, Marcel, thank you so much for joining us, man. That was great info on the Panthers and uh, pretty good pick too. I've done some film study on Cleveland Ferrell, and I actually think that. He is going to go higher than some people think. I think he is he's one of those forgotten, really good football players that's going to come out of this class. So thanks for so much for joining us, man. Yeah, appreciate y'all having me on. All right, Ben. Now can I say it? Can I say that we're halfway through now? Are you gonna- Yes, because we are. Okay. We're halfway through the show. All right. We're halfway through the show, people. Tomorrow we get the Cleveland Brown. Just kidding. Um, actually we should have a Cleveland Browns beat reporter on just to talk about Odell. Like we could just talk Odell for 15 straight minutes. I don't know if you could do that, but I could basically do that by myself tomorrow. We actually get the giants and then we get the Vikings. So two pretty important picks. Second pick for the giants. We'll see what they do. And then the Vikings can go, are are they going to start reaching for interior offensive line? I know they know one, but who we're going to have on is going to know the team a lot better than us. So until then you guys stick around, keep it locked right here on locked on NFL draft. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.